Welcome listeners to the BHL podcast series. I'm your host Scott Heidner. Uh, we are recording today at uh, Jay Wilson's restaurant, one of our gracious regular hosts on the circuit here in Lawrence, Kansas. And it is my pleasure today to have as my guest Mr. Jim Haney. He is a member of the board of directors of the Gettysburg Foundation. Jim, we've been excited to have you on the show. Thank you for coming. It's good to be here, Scott. Great to see you. Absolutely. We have a great, great story to tell for you all today. So for listeners, we're recording this on June 19th, and uh, Lord willing, the plan is to get it out the week prior to 4th of July public and this is a story that's relevant anytime, but here with Fourth of July coming up, it's it's even just a little bit sweeter to tell. Um, so we're going to spend most of our time, Jim, today on on Gettysburg and the the history and the legacy. But give us a little bit about you, uh, your life journey, and and how it culminated with you having an involvement. Well, I I grew up in Topeka. I was adopted by a Topeka couple, Clarice and Art Haney, and. Uh, uh, Art Haney uh, had a partner, uh, Don Seltzum, and the two of them together developed West Hills, a subdivision out there, and that's where I grew up and went to Topeka Public Schools. Um, later on in my life, uh, uh, my birth father discovered me, um, and uh, uh, and I got to, to, to know him. He, he actually uh, was quite young when he had me, but uh, I found out later that he married my birth mother and uh, thought I had... Uh, three other, um, um, two other, two sisters and a brother in addition to my adopted sister. So uh, kind of an interesting later in life process for me. But I, I went to uh, Topeka Public Schools and then went to Washburn University, stayed home to go to college and uh, got a degree in political science, minor in history. And while I was in uh, w- at Washburn, I got a job at the Kansas State Historical Society and uh, was the stack boy in the library there. <laughs> so, so do, they, I, do they still have those? I don't know. They didn't get much work out of me because <laughs> I was too busy seeing those books on the shelf and putting them away and seeing lots of great stories I wanted to read about. So uh, I guess that kind of sparked my history. But the reason I, I brought up my, my parents, uh, my adopted parents, Art and Clara Saney, was that they would take us on uh, two-week summer vacations every year, and we always stopped at historical places. Battlefields were a, a must, and uh, in 1964, uh, when I was 12 years old, um, we went to Washington, D.C., and went to Gettysburg, and uh, and that was just, it just made quite an impression on me, at least enough of one that I came back there uh, in my early 40s, and uh, brought back all the memories of that first time I'd been there and uh, I just decided that I wanted to help and they had a little box on the wall in the visitor center there that said join the friends <laughs> the friends of Gettysburg and uh, so I I paid my $25 and <laughs> and I uh, started getting their newsletters and uh, they had these programs in the spring and the fall like a weekend where you could come to Gettysburg and and uh, learn about all different kinds of things about the battle. They'd had 10 or 15 different programs. You could choose which one you wanted to go uh, listen in on. And I started coming to those uh, spring musters is what they called them. And they had one in the fall too. And, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed those programs, got to meet a lot of people there. And, and they were interested in, uh, the, the Friends of Gettysburg was interested in 
putting together more of a national board and they asked me if I would get involved and so that's how it all started and then um, in 2006 the Friends of Gettysburg um, group merged with another group that was looking to build the um, a new museum and visitor center at Gettysburg and so we had a, a merger at that time of the Friends of Gettysburg and the Gettysburg National Battlefield Museum Foundation into what is today the Gettysburg Foundation. I didn't go on their board, you know, right off the bat. I, I think it was maybe three or four years later. And uh, But you've been on the board, even if it was three or four years later, yeah. you've been on the board of quite a while now. Yeah, uh, 2010, I think, is when I went on. So I've been been on that Very now. Very cool. So your journey truly started with just being a visitor to the battlefield and being a friend, friend of, of Gettysburg, Gettysburg yeah, and right. mailing in some modest yeah. annual dues and went from there. Yep. That's, that's awesome. That's how, it, that's how it all happened. And Very uh, cool. And I've really met a lot of interesting people over the years and it's been, of course, a great process to see. Very rewarding to see all the changes that have happened to really make the battlefield and the, and the area around Gettysburg much, much better interpreted, better facilities and really make it the great national shrine that it is today. One of the interesting things we're going to spend, for the listeners, we're going to spend most of our time today, you know, I'm as guilty as anybody else. When I think of Gettysburg, I just think about the battle. Yeah. But the Gettysburg Foundation is so much more than just preserving the history of, of that event. Yeah. It's it's the, the legacy impact and such, which is where we're going to spend most of our time. But before we do... Uh, do tell me sort of the nuts and bolts of the battle itself. I mean, obviously, huge battle, very impactful, but uh, give me the Reader's Digest version of what actually happened at that scene in that time. Yeah, uh, well, the Civil War, I think, had raged on for a little over two years by the time Gettysburg came around, and uh, the Confederates had just been whipping up on on the Union Army, uh, for, to use a football analogy, I think Robert E. Lee, the Confederate general, was uh, 10 and 0, you know, against the Union Army coming into Gettysburg, and and uh, and yet, uh, as that battle approached and all the upheaval in the Union Army, they just uh, a few days before the battle had, uh, Lincoln had appointed a new commander, George Meade, to be head of the army. So there's a lot of things in flux, but one thing that happened was the uh, con- Confederate Army was invading the North, uh, again, because it had such a success uh, down South, and there were a lot of reasons why Robert E. Lee brought his army North, but uh, the uh, the eyes and ears of the army was the cavalry, and Jeb Stuart's cavalry was way out in front of uh, the uh, Robert E. Lee's army, Army of Northern Virginia, uh, gotten a little bit too far out ahead of them, uh, and they were um, uh, coming up north in the area, around the area of Gettysburg, up towards Harrisburg, and uh, the army was kind of starting to concentrate back down on the roads towards Gettysburg. The, the reason why Gettysburg is the place for the battle is there's a road network around Gettysburg. All roads lead to Gettysburg, and so it became a kind of a natural place for all these armies to converge. And and the Union cavalry, uh, headed by uh, a man who probably a lot of people haven't heard of that don't focus on the Civil War, John Buford, uh, was bringing his cavalry. He got into Gettysburg and he saw the ground being really good, a good place to have an army to both fight and defend. 
and he was then, to make a long story short, able to hold off the Confederate Army long enough for the Union Army, to, the infantry, to get up to support him. And when, uh, after the fight of the first day, the Confederate Army had done really well pushing the Union Army back into defensive positions around Gettysburg, and then for the next two days, Robert E. Lee tried to attack the Army on, on its flanks, first the, its right flank, and then all the time on the left flank. And then the third day, they tried to make a direct frontal assault, which is known as Pickett's Charge, and that was the culminating what's known as the high water mark of the Confederacy. And it's just a massive battle, you know, 51,000 casualties over three days, largest military engagement on the North American continent ever. And uh, it, you know, I think most historians, between the, the, the victory the next day after the Gettysburg battle was over at Vicksburg and the Gettysburg victory, the Union Army, that was probably the turning point of the Civil War, and that's why Gettysburg is such an important place to us today, and it certainly was the focus of all the, there's over 1,300 monuments on the battlefield, many of them, most of them, put there by the regiments, the Union regiments largely, that fought there, and so that's, that's why uh, when you drive onto the battlefield today, uh, you know you've come to a special place because you see all these monuments and something pretty important happened here. It's incredibly sobering. You know, I like to think I'm a history lover and, and know at least as much as the average bear about things, but your observation that to this day it is the largest battle in the history of North America. That's right. That is sobering yeah, to think about that. It really is. It's just a massive uh, affair. I think there were... Um, of the uh, Confederate Army, if I remember my statistics right, about 32% of the entire army uh, was lost in casualties there. Wow. Uh, and at least a quarter of the Confederate Army uh, was taken out of action, you know, as a result of that. There are lots of famous places at Gettysburg, like Devil's Den and the Slaughter Pen. People, A lot of people heard of Little Round Top and Big Round Top and of course, the angle is where the high water mark of the Confederacy Pickett's Charge took place. And so there are lots of name places, even at Gettysburg. I think Ken Burns, when he did his uh, big Civil War uh, episodic uh, program a number of years ago, uh, the, the chapter that he had on Gettysburg was entitled The Universe of Battle. And that's, that's a pretty good way to summarize yeah. the whole thing. Well, let's switch gears then. I appreciate the, the overview of, of the battle itself, the actual numbers involved and the logistics of it. But I think today uh, you and I both want to focus a lot more on what's been spawned from that through the Gettysburg Foundation and its antecedents. Why is Gettysburg, there are so many Civil War battles with staggering levels of loss and some of them are remembered, but Gettysburg is almost the first thing off the lips for yeah. the average American. Why has it sustained, and why has it been such a common destination for presidents and other figures? Um, why does that legacy resonate even more strongly than the others? That's a good point, Scott. I, you know, I, I think uh, Lincoln coming to Gettysburg about five months later, you know, to dedicate a national cemetery, there the, and the address that he 
made there uh, frame not only the purpose of the conflict, uh, while paying tribute, of course, to the soldiers that had struggled there, but also setting out for the living, you know, the unfinished work, I think those are the words he used, and the great task remaining before us. And those words not only resonated at the time, but they also resonate down through the decades and I guess ultimately the century or century and a half that has followed. And uh, I think it would have been significant enough as the largest battle, you know, ever fought on our soil. But then when you add Lincoln's contribution to it and you have just really an exceedingly special place there. And and, and yet it doesn't stop with, with Lincoln. Uh, our own favorite son, Dwight Eisenhower, uh, came there as a soldier in 1915 uh, as a cadet at, at the military academy, and, and uh, he was visiting with his class to study the battle. And then three years later, he comes back as a captain in World War One in charge of training uh, tank crews, and they, they used the Gettysburg battlefield as a, tra- a tank training ground. I think they called it Camp Colt. And... Uh, and then, uh, and then he comes back after World War II, while president of Columbia University, and he and his wife decide that's where they want to retire to. And he purchases a, at that time, a 190-acre farm that's uh, right next to the battlefield, and that was about 1950. And then he runs for president in 1952, and then he retires there in 1961 to write his memoirs, and then. After you know, he, he I think while he was in the White House, he brought a number of world leaders there. To you know, uh, Montgomery, the general from uh, World War II that he fought side by side with, uh, Winston Churchill, number of world leaders came. He he brought them there to break down walls of conflict. You know, as president of the United States, and uh, it was just a great place for him to have world leaders. And so, and then you know, after he's he's out of the presidency, and the hundredth anniversary of the battle comes up, and uh, uh, it's actually the hundredth anniversary of Lincoln's Gettysburg Address as well, and Eisenhower speaks at that time of Lincoln's faith, you know, that America would one day be united in peace, and that faith of his had been justified, but that the unfinished work of what Lincoln had spoken so well about uh, was still unfinished and always will be because we're humans, right? So, so and I'm going to quote him. He said, we read Lincoln's sentiments, we ponder his words, but we have not paid to his message. It's just tribute until we ourselves live it. So there's another president, you know, first Lincoln, and there were other presidents we can talk about too mm-hmm. that have been there who have taken what Lincoln started and really expanded upon it to really kind of get at this whole nother level of just not a battle, but you know, this is really kind of a central place for us to talk about democracy and freedom and of the people, by the people, for the people. So Eisenhower's yeah challenge uh, that we have not given Lincoln's words their just dessert or whatever the exact frame of art or term of art was. This is true today and is relevant today yeah. as it ever was. Absolutely. You mentioned, Jim, that there were others. Um, obviously, Eisenhower is near and dear to the hearts of us here in Kansas and the Midwest. But if you would, do touch for just a minute about the other folks, the 50th and 75th reunions, Wilson, FDR. I mean, there's just been 
an unbelievable amount of of attention and, and and deference shown to Gettysburg by so many of our presidents and leaders. If you want to touch on those for just a minute as well. Yeah, I think the best place to start is maybe the 50th anniversary. Uh, that's 1913. Most of the veterans are still around, you know, quite a th- I think they had something like 50,000 veterans come to Gettysburg, you know, uh, both Union and Southern veterans. And what does that tell you about the size of the battle if 50 years later there are still 50,000 veterans of that yeah, battle that yeah. survived it and, and everything Very else true. is still yeah. alive? Yeah, there, so many came. And, and Woodrow Wilson's the president then. We're kind of in, a, in another big, uh, approaching another big war time. But uh, uh, Wilson uh, characterizes those 50,000 veterans that attended from both sides as enemies no longer but generous friends the quarrel forgotten you know so there's a, another effort to try to reconcile and bring bring these two factions the north and the south back together and and then in the 75th anniversary so we're now we're up to 1938 who's the president but none other but FDR you know and at that time they actually were dedicating a monument at Gettysburg called the Eternal Light Peace Memorial it was made of Maine granite and Alabama marble you think about it a Maine and oh, wow. Maine and Alabama are uh-huh. exactly the same distance apart from Gettysburg as each other you know mm-hmm. so um, but but at that uh, at that dedication, uh, and I, I think the words that are inscribed on the front of it are "Peace United." Excuse me, "Peace Eternal in a Nation United." And Roosevelt said, "They are brought here by the memories of old divided loyalties, but they meet here in united loyalty to a united cause, which the unfolding years have made it easier to see." All of them we honor, not asking under which flag they fought then, and thankful that they stand together under one flag now. So there's another example of of a president taking advantage of uh, a, a Gettysburg anniversary to try to bring our country together. And so that's kind of been a, a theme of presidents visiting Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think in, in in addition to 1961, when Ike made his famous speech there, uh, John F. Kennedy actually drove up one weekend with his family, and they were impressed with this Eternal Light Peace Memorial because it had a flame on top of it. And uh, I, I think Jackie Kennedy actually got the idea for the Eternal Flame on his grave from from that. Uh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Huh. And, and then. Uh, uh, also that same year, I'm not sure what month he was there, but uh, LBJ came to speak at, at Gettysburg and uh, uh, spoke some of the words that uh, that we're um, dealing with today about civil rights, you know. And looking at the list of people that have, have spoken there beyond the presidency and beyond the political, looking at names like Garrison Keillor and LeVar Burton, yeah, I mean, the, the yeah. stretch... Or the impact goes well beyond politics and politicians as yeah, well. Yeah, that's true. That's really true, Scott. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. Well, let's get into the Gettysburg Foundation. And, Jim, you're, if you'll humor me, I'm going to use that term loosely. I know from what you said that that's sort of the amalgamation of a couple of other um, entities that predated it. And when I say the Gettysburg uh, Foundation, I'm really referring to, to all of those groups and the work they've done over time. Uh, but tell me when those various associations that came to be the foundation were created and, and what was the mission at the time that that happened? Yeah, I think it, it kind of goes back to, and I won't go into the whole history of it, but uh, they they were unable to raise the money necessary to um, build a new visitor center. And they've just kind of gone from one um, no duct tape situation to another as far as facilities are concerned. Uh, there was a, a house uh, that had been the visitor center uh, on the battlefield, really right in a place that was you know, in a lot of the action. Uh, and that had served as a visitor center for a long time. And Congress had, had a, I think, in essence, approved a new visitor center center at Gettysburg, but they hadn't appropriated funds for it. And this went on for a long, long time. So um, uh, the Gettysburg Battlefield uh, Museum Foundation uh, was established in 1998 uh, as kind of the forerunner of today's Gettysburg Foundation. And that group went went about the business uh, along with, of course, the friends came into it uh, a few years later of trying to um, form a partnership with the National Park Service, um, you know, kind of combining the National Park Service's expertise and educational, uh, interpretive, preservation expertise that the Park Service has with the philanthropic and educational and really private sector skills of the foundation, um, including the support, I might add, of what was probably a, at the time about 15, 20,000 uh, friends members, uh, of which I was one. Um, and, and those two groups got together and really formed a partnership, the National Park Service and the Gettysburg Foundation. And that was all culminated, I think, around 2004, 2006, the the um, uh, the new visitor center was built. The foundation raised um, over a hundred million dollars, uh, not only for the construction of the visitor center that was part of it, but also there was a there's a really interesting painting called the Cyclorama. It's a 370 foot long painting that is displayed in a round house. Um, uh, of Pickett's Charge, and this painting had really fallen upon hard times in, in the various other places that had been over the years, and uh, this painting was restored as part of the building of the new museum process, and then, of course, when the building was finished, the, the painting went up in, in, in the new space that it was, and now it's, it's being cared for properly. All the, uh, what we have there is a uh, LEED Gold Certified Facility, uh, which is, you know, state-of-the-art, uh, environmentally friendly mm -hmm. kind of a building. And so all of, all the archives of Gettysburg, along with that painting, are, are really well cared for now. And uh, that was all culminated, I think, in 2008 when the facility was open. And so we're, 
we're about 12 years into that building now. So the Gettysburg Foundation, tell us a little more. It obviously, from what you just told us, one of its primary goals, as with most foundations, I think of historical locations, is the preservation of the facilities and the infrastructure so that the ability to tell that story gets preserved. But the the Gettysburg Foundation goes well beyond simply protecting and maintaining the history. You have proactive missions. Um, uh, you want to affect positive change moving forward as well as preserving the history. Tell us a little bit about that mission and how it came sure. to be. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, our mission is to... I guess in the kind of the short term is to support the park. I mean, the, you know, we're we're a friend of the park, and so our our stated mission is to preserve the Gettysburg National Military Park and the Eisenhower National Historic Site, the farm, which uh, I think today encompasses almost 700 acres, and to educate the public about their significance. And that's what gets into what you're talking about. And and our vision at this time is to to kind of expand on that is to become a leading place in the nation for nonpartisan constructive dialogue that's the part that, yeah. that completely draws me in and and fascinates me and yeah. it's compelling it really is we want to have a, a a dialogue there about citizenship about leadership about conflict and conciliation in our american democracy as part of that so you know i think I think the thing is that Gettysburg wasn't a, it wasn't a, I mean, it was three days of a battle, right? But for the next 157 years, which is how long it's been since then, yeah, I think it's been a demonstrated place of peace, reunion, reconciliation, rededication, a touching place of, for kindness, forgiveness, civility and you know embodied in lincoln and all the other great presidents that have spoken there uh humility all kinds of good things that uh, that maybe we need to remember now gettysburg was not after the battle it was not uh, uh, a particularly friendly place i mean people had had, had their properties destroyed around gettysburg and uh uh, a lot of people looking to make a quick buck, you know, and the history of that is probably, uh, to a large extent, kind of goes the other direction. But there are all these examples that I've referred to, as you and I have visited here, of um, uh, efforts to really, you know, reconcile uh, our divided country. And, and certainly we have those issues today, and, and hopefully we can play a role in that yeah. by being that national place for a nonpartisan discussion on that. I think it's very compelling that there are so many great uh, pieces of American history that we preserve so well and commit to doing so, but I'm not aware of all that many of them that then say we're going to take this history and use it for good. We're right. going to we're going to impact change on the world moving forward through the telling of this story as opposed to just making sure people know the history of it. Um, Talk to me a little bit about, and on both sides of this, because they're really kind of two different dynamics, both on the actual preservation of history and the telling of the story, and also on your your proactive efforts to try and affect change to help, you know, dialogue and humility and those kind of things. Tell me about the people 
that you have working for the foundation? Because I will say, when I went to the website, when we knew we were going to do this podcast, the whole thing was impressive and learned so much. But honestly, Jim, the part of the website I spent the most time on was the the about us, where we could look at all your, your staff members that work there. I mean, yeah. it's like a... Uh, who's who of intellectual greatness and authorship and and, and study and yeah so tell us about those folks well first we have we do have a great staff there uh, and uh, you know, I mean they're they're actively involved in in you know trying to engage more and more friends we want more friends for the battlefield and uh, really trying to take the message of you know what has happened there and uh, and get it out into the public you know so uh, lots of uh, lots of good marketing and and membership expertise as well as a facility we we have we are so proud of that facility and uh, we do such a great job of taking care of that facility there now it really is a it's I think there's a book that's been written about it called a gift to America and that's certainly what it what it has been uh, but you know, I think the education and the preservation things that have been accomplished there, with the help of uh, of, uh, of a supportive board of directors, and we've got we've got a council of historians that uh, are are also uh, interested and supportive of what we do as well. So great, great group of folks yeah. from all over the country. Just reading their bios online, it's uh, I mean, PhDs or. A dime a dozen in that group, and the the uh, authorship, you know, so many books that they've written about so many different specific phases and impacts of the battle. It's just, yeah, uh, you know, I I don't mean to disparage any other tour guide anywhere else, but this ain't no. your garden variety park ranger that no. takes you around this <laughs> battlefield. Right. Well, and and uh, I really want to take my hat off to the park rangers. You know, the 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 staff of the park is just fabulous, and those folks. Uh, put on ranger programs throughout the year uh for for people that are visiting the battlefield and they're just the 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 knowledge that they have is just incredible of of what happened there and uh and you'll see from time to time uh videos on on facebook or instagram or uh, programs that are offered uh, around that put on by the park rangers but also, uh, there's a very interesting 100-plus uh, year, probably 110-plus year organization called the Association of Licensed Battlefield Guides, and those folks uh, are, I mean, the, the 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 training that they go through and the knowledge that the, the ability to become an associated licensed battlefield. I mean, there's only uh, you know 100 plus of these guides. That are at Gettysburg, and if if uh, if you want to get in there, it's almost kind of like somebody has to drop off in order to get in. It's very difficult to wow. become a licensed battlefield guide, and to, you really have to know every aspect of of the battle, the regiments that fought there, the people that were involved in those regiments. And um, but if you what you can do, and the reason I mention those is in addition to the park rangers if you want to hire a guide to take you around the battlefield and and address even a specific topic that you have maybe you had ancestors that fought at the battle uh, they will take you out to where those people fought and tell you about it and you can actually you know kind of experience what it was like to 
be where your ancestors were. Of course, not everybody has ancestors that fought at Gettysburg, but there are those people are wonderful um, resources. I would highly recommend anybody going to Gettysburg to uh, to invest in. And uh, I think it's something like seventy-five dollars to to take a uh, two two and a half hour uh, tour around the battlefield with a guide. You get so much more out of that. Uh, and I I think they're just a, a fabulous bunch of folks who are really stewards, good stewards of the battlefield, along with the park rangers. One of the things um, I'm, I will come back to it at the very very end of the podcast as your cue listeners. If you want to get your pencil ready. Uh, one of the things I was going to ask you to share with listeners, and I will at the very end, is uh, how they can plan their visit and go out there. I know there's a lot of opportunities. Yeah. Just go on and do that online. We'll, we'll come back oh, to sure. that. Oh, sure. Yeah, fine. Uh, well, let's shift to what I think is the most exciting part of this, and maybe it's because I simply didn't know anything about it. I keep coming back to the fact that the Gettysburg Foundation is one part preserver of history, but the other part that I'm so impressed with this mission going forward to make the world a better place and use the lessons of Gettysburg to affect that change, the leadership training program. Oh, yeah. This is my favorite part. Yeah. This is such a cool deal. Oh, yeah. Um, talk to yeah. us about the challenges and the opportunities uh, with this leadership training program, uh, the 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 gravitas of some <laughs> of the people that are involved. Oh, yeah. That, that, the people that participate get to interface with. It's a fascinating story. It really is. I, I, I think what we're trying to do, that's, that's part of our uh, vision, you know, is to really uh, uh, challenge people to, um, with with regard to their own personal leadership, right, or their organization's leadership. Uh, and, and the leadership center at Gettysburg, which, by the way, has, um, has now got absolutely great facilities. We've taken... One of the historic farms at Gettysburg, uh, and thanks to the generous gifts of one of our founders, Bob Kinsley, who was responsible for uh, uh, building the the visitor center itself, uh, has donated generously to make that happen. We've taken the farmhouse there at the George Spangler Farm, uh, which was a Union hospital that took care of troops from both the Union and Confederate Army after during and after the battle but that place now is uh, is the site for the leadership center and uh, they're bringing in or- organizations of uh, all kinds uh, all different uh, type you know whether it's a, a business corporation or an association organization alumni groups whatever uh, folks that want to uh, study leadership because uh, the battle is rich with leadership stories uh, of you know, good examples of leadership uh, from the highest level of the army to the common soldier and to the middle managers in between the colonels and whatnot. Lots of soldier, lots of stories around the battlefield that are um, are good are good ways for an organization to study decision making and how to become a better leader. And so those programs now are offered by the by the foundation and uh, we're really excited we're really just kind of getting started with uh, with that and yet we've had uh, a, a few years here where we've really been trying to get it going you know and uh, uh, and that's off to a great start now so uh, great great place to learn leadership and I think even if you're an individual uh, they have an opportunity for you to kind of plug into an existing class mm-hmm. and 
and take that in. That's one of the comments I was going to make. It's, and I say this, the depth of my knowledge is really just what I read on the website and visiting with you, but this is how relevant the lessons or, or the breadth of the relevance of the Gettysburg lessons, these leadership training program courses apply. You know, if you are an individual, you can tag onto one of these groups, but the groups themselves that go and get the benefit from this range everything from, as you said, it might be a nonprofit association that's dedicated to history. And so the link could be that direct, but you've also got just Fortune 500 companies yeah. that, that come recognize the the importance of leadership right. and, and compromise and everything. Uh, the lessons truly are almost universal. Yeah, yeah it's really true. And, and uh, we're excited for the future of that. We think there's a lot of upside to it. And Looking forward to see seeing more and more people come to Gettysburg to learn about leadership and their own leadership challenges. Yeah. yeah. Well, a couple of other questions uh, that I want to ask you about the, the battle and the foundation and your involvement of it. So there's just a million different parts, but your favorite, um, your personal favorite, Jim Haney, Ooh, what boy. do you feel, and maybe favorite is a poor choice of words, um, but the most important important thing about Gettysburg what resonates more strongly with you than anything and that could be anything from an individual anecdote that took place during the battle up to and through something you see volunteers contribute today what what just sticks with you and and stirs you more than anything else I think more than any other place in the United States this this battlefield is indeed, I think, as James McPherson, the, the Civil War historian, Pulitzer Prize winning author, called it America's hallowed ground more than any other place in the country. It, it, it's a, a blend, a blend of a massive battle, uh, a, a place of solemn remembrance, and an emblem of the greatest democratic experience the world has ever known. That's kind of the way I see Gettysburg and and uh, and you know Lincoln came there and and cast down upon all future generations the charge to be dedicated to the unfinished work and the great task remaining before us. In effect, he was kind of reminding us of of our citizenship responsibilities. More, we always talk about our rights of citizenship, but we don't often talk about our responsibilities of citizenship. And I think uh, you know the whole axiom that freedom isn't free and that citizenship it really is a full contact sport we you know when you come to Gettysburg you really start thinking about citizenship and I think that's what the place is for me more than anything I, I think we need to think about Gettysburg that way a lot more and and as much as anything um, Gettysburg for me is not so much the history and the facts and all that as, as it is the stories the stories and the lessons uh, to inspire citizenship and leadership. I think those are the things that kind of ring the truest for me with Gettysburg. I think that's a fantastic answer. Oh. I think that's great. That's, yeah. Well, let me ask you one more specific question, and then uh, I'm going to close and give you a chance to put in a couple of good plugs on how <laughs> folks can get more information and get more involved. But my last question for you is this. What is the most... Um, of all the data about Gettysburg or all the activities, the things that happened, 
what is the most mind-blowing one that you feel is not commonly known? I mean, mm. most Americans know about Pickett's Charge. Yeah. But tell me about something that makes people's jaws drop that for whatever reason is just not as commonly shared and taught and known by the average American. Well, as far as the battle's concerned, I, I, I still feel, of course, anybody who's been to Gettysburg and who's really looked into it knows about uh, uh, John Buford, but uh, I mentioned him earlier. Uh, if you don't have John Buford at Gettysburg, I mean, he's the one who really sets the table for how that battle is going to be fought by getting there before anybody else, seeing the places, a good place to have an army and to fight a battle. And uh, without John Buford there, uh, you know, the rest of it doesn't, you know, doesn't happen. I think more than that, he to me is the most consequential person in the battle and all. I think it just, in terms of wow things at Gettysburg, uh, in addition to that, I would just say the cyclorama painting, really, mm-hmm. uh, because when you when you go there, you see a film about uh, Gettysburg's place in the context of the Civil War. But but then you leave the the uh, the theater, you get on an escalator, and you go up into this room and stand in the center of the room with the painting is all around you, and all of a sudden you are right in the middle of Pickett's Charge, and there's guns going off and. F- cannon flashes you know and and uh it, it is a wow moment uh in visiting gettysburg and everybody should experience that so that's as far as visiting gettysburg that's my mm-hmm. my my wow experience and, and probably the licensed battlefield guide experience would be the, the second one very good yeah uh the cavalry officer and shame on me i'm already blanking oh, on his name buford buford thank yeah. you did he survive the battle he did but uh he died later um I can't remember. I, I can't remember exactly when it was, but uh, he. I, th- I don't think he made it through the end of the year. I think he. I think he died somewhere else uh, later on in the year. I'm sorry, I can't remember that exact. But he was from Kentucky, which was a border state, mm-hmm. you know. So a lot of people from C- Kentucky fought for the South, as well as the North. And but I think it's appropriate that a Kentuckian played the role that uh, he did. He was a fabulous cavalry officer, and there were future. Uh, Cavalry generals who helped him there, you know, uh, people like Thomas Devon and uh, Gamble was the other brigade commander there. But Custer had a big role to play at at uh, at Gettysburg. And I, th- I just I'll make one other final point about participants at Gettysburg. A lot of them were immigrants. Uh, one of the, uh, in particular, I'm thinking of the 11th Union Army Corps, was made up of. Uh, uh, a lot of uh, immigrants, and some of the names of the lead. One of the um, one of the division commanders was a guy by the name of Adolf von Steinwehr, <laughs> and Carl Schurz was another one, and uh, Alexander Schimmelfinning, who actually got separated from his troops and spent most of the battle in town hiding out. <laughs> but uh, names like von Amsberg and Vladimir Krizanowski. Kris- and Leopold von Gilza, those were brigade commanders in the 11th Union Army Corps, you know. So there was a lot of, there were a lot of uh, uh, immigrants that were, that were there, you know, fighting, had fought in the Prussian Wars and in Europe and had come to America looking for a better life, better opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. That is, and again, as relevant today as it ever was. Absolutely. Well, Jim, I'm, this is probably your favorite part. You are such a passionate ambassador for this foundation 
and not only the history but but the change that you're trying to affect moving forward as well uh, give us a plug if somebody wants to go to gettysburg what does a smart person do in advance <laughs> of that visit to be prepared well i think the best way to uh, go to the website uh, www.gettysburgfoundation.org uh, they can follow a lot of the things that the foundation does on facebook uh, instagram and uh, i think that you know if you Hashtag Gettysburg Foundation. You can follow on on Twitter as well. So there's lots of ways to connect. But I think there's actually a, a little spot right on the front page of the website, GettysburgFoundation.org, uh, that says Plan Your Visit. So you just click on that and take off. Very good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to say, uh, listeners, full disclosure, BHL has had the pleasure of working with Jim Haney for a very long time in some of his full-time professional endeavors and jim what a delight to be able to spend an afternoon with you and learn so much about such a cool part of american history and to have you share your passion i just hugely appreciate you taking the time with us well scott i thank you too i think of all of the memories of my career with AAA, uh, the, the thing that i remember the most was were the victories that we had in traffic safety advocacy uh, and none of those would be possible uh, without the help of, of your firm and you, you just you, you guys are fantastic and there's a lot of lives that are being saved today on the nation's highways Kansas highways uh, that are a direct result of efforts that you helped make possible so awfully kind of yeah. you to say so yeah. and uh, uh, hopefully we've done uh, at least a part of that um, listeners we Triple A, as you probably just picked up with Jim, was his full-time career and yeah. uh, traffic safety, transportation safety, shared passion. Another shared Absolutely. passion on top That's of Gettysburg. Right. <laughs> but, Jim, it's been wonderful to have you here. Thank you for sharing your story. Thanks for the time you commit to this foundation and the cause. And uh, with any luck, maybe we'll send a few Kansans your way after Sounds they hear good. the story. Oh, good to be with you, Scott. Thank you. Very good. Yeah. BHL listeners, thank you for tuning in. We will catch you on the next episode of the BHL podcast series. <laughs>